You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. And good evening, everybody. Welcome to Padres Social Hour, the very special draft edition presented by Biasat. The uh, MLB draft here in 2020 is underway. The Padres, about 40 minutes ago, made their first round selection, number eight overall. We will dive into that. We'll get you all the latest on what's going on with the Major League season here in 2020, and we'll just try and have a little fun as well. Happy to be joined by a couple of uh, former big league pitchers, a lefty, Randy Jones, and a righty, uh, Bob Scanlon. Guys, thank you so much for being here and uh, being a part of this. Before we dive into the the draft pick, the choice, we'll hear from Rob Manfred in just a moment on the uh, Padre selection. It really is, Randy, one of those uh, very special days on the baseball calendar. You know, it is a special day. I mean, you, know, you uh, your scans, you remember, I remember, you'll never forget. You're chasing the dream, you know, all those countless hours of competing or even, you know, playing, you know, with a ball in your hand in the backyard, pretending you're a big league ball player that you finally get drafted. And, you know, we've all chased those dreams. And and we, the two of us, we're, we're a couple of the lucky ones. You know, we actually achieved our, our dream. And uh, and I feel, I feel blessed and very fortunate to have been able to do that. RJ, I, I couldn't say it any better. Talk about being blessed to be able to pursue our dream. And I, I do remember draft day, and I was a, a 25th rounder. And there were 600 guys picked before I was. So I had to wait a couple of days before I got that phone call from my scout, Jay Robertson, saying, Bob, we, uh, Jay Robertson with the Philadelphia Phillies, we've selected you in the 25th round. And I just remember having goosebumps. And <laughs> there's a whole whole story about why I was 25th round. I, I totally mishandled the entire draft scenario completely. <laughs> but the bottom line is I was grateful to get an opportunity to play. And uh, like you said, RJ, it's a blessing to get that opportunity at all and then to get to the big leagues. And that's what we hope when we see all these young, these young men getting this opportunity. First, that they appreciate how special it, it is and also that they get a chance to fulfill their dream. And hopefully we'll get to see that today out of some of the, these uh, future Friars that are being drafted. Yeah, that is certainly the goal. And so a long way to go, of course, from being drafted to the big leagues. Uh, but uh, all the best to all these guys. I mentioned the Padres had the eighth overall selection. If you haven't been following it closely, we won't hold you hostage any longer. Here you go, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, again, less than an hour ago. With the eighth pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the San Diego Padres select Robert Hassel III, an outfielder from Independence High School, Thompson Station, Tennessee. So there you go. He is a center fielder. He is a left-handed hitter. And uh, we'll try and get you all the information we can possibly give you on who I am now calling RH3, Robert Hassel uh, III. He was the very first high school player selected in this year's draft. Each of the first seven selections uh, that were made were college players this year. Tigers, Orioles, Marlins, Royals, Blue Jays, Mariners, and Pirates all taking collegiate talent before a prep player selected by the Padres eighth overall. Uh, it's a, it's a big time bat. That's uh, what you're drafting here. You're going for upside 
Uh, you're getting a look at the swing. So all of you swing gurus sitting at home watching on your iPhones, uh, you can really start to break this thing down right now. Uh, we'll, we'll give you some information from people who do this for a living, following prep baseball and amateur baseball uh, for a living. None of us claim to be experts in this field, but we try and give you the information. Thank you, Friar Gal. Appreciate that. And uh, so here we go. I think we're going to start it off informationally uh, with Kyle Glazer. He said the Padres felt Hassel was the top high school player in this class over Zach Veen, who, by the way, would be selected ninth. Going back a while, they felt Hassel has the better bat Simple as that. There did seem to be a lot of people tweeting in the immediate aftermath of this thing that he was the best pure hitter in the 2020 high school class. That's exactly what Baseball America wrote. They also like his strike zone judgment. That seems to be one of those things that you can carry with you from level to level. So you always like hearing a little something like that. Uh, USA Baseball reports uh, and lets us know or reminds us uh, that playing with them last summer, all he did was hit 514 uh, with 14 runs scored, five doubles, a couple dingers, and 14 stakes. Uh, pretty cool uh, numbers, obviously, right there, doing that at the international competition level. And uh, a couple more for you. Uh, mentioned uh, first high school player taken in this year's draft. Uh, ESPN Stats and Info also passes along. The Padres have now uh, gone with a high school guy each of their last five first-round picks, more than any other team over that span. That's kind of an interesting jumping-off point, uh, Bob, that I want to get into in just a moment. But this is cool also. Speaking of those draft picks, uh, the guy taken in the first round by the Padres two years ago, Ryan Weathers, also from Tennessee, uh, a pitcher, of course. Uh, they played together on uh, Team Tennessee uh, in the Sun Belt Games in Oklahoma a few years back. So they know one another. It's always kind of neat to uh, to see that go in. But, but Bob, we were talking about this off air as you see the reaction. Great stuff. Um, of the two-time Gatorade Tennessee Player of the Year being selected by the Padres. You know, there, there's clearly a strategy in A.J. Preller and Mark Connors and their staff's worlds, and uh, they, they seem to follow it. They really do, Jesse. And how cool was it to see him have that Padres hat just ready to go? And he <laughs> looks good in that dark brown. I love it. Way to go, R.A. Street. <laughs> Uh, it, but Jesse, you, you brought the point up off air first, and I couldn't agree with you any anymore in terms of the discipline that this organization, A.J. Preller, and his scouting department has continued to show. Look, we all know that the window for winning is here uh, for the Padres, and it'd be really tempting for them to try to go after the kid that's going to be the quickest to get to the big leagues. That might help them out right away. It might not be the highest ceiling guy, and that would be, uh, probably be a mistake, I think, in a lot of people's opinion. And, and look – to go with the high school kid, they're saying we are sticking with our philosophy of continuing to get the best upside talent that is available out there. Yes, it may make, take him another couple of years to get to the big leagues, but when he does, the ceiling on this young man is going to be tremendous. And I, and I give the scouting department credit for that. And the other thing is they have to have confidence in the development department. Look, if your scouting department doesn't trust your development department to be able to take these young high school kids and turn them into big leaguers, then you do go for college guys. So this is a win-win for the Padres in terms of their, their drafting philosophy and the confidence to make it work. RJ, how do you see it? Yeah, I see, Scandra, a great point about the development side. It, it is imperative. And they got to feel awfully comfortable with how, you know, AJ, they, they put together a development staff in our minor league system. They feel they can develop these kids into the best ball players they can be. And that's not easily said. I, I, I certainly wouldn't have said that five years ago. Especially, I know 10 years ago, I didn't think we had a clue how to develop guys. They developed themselves. And I think we're doing a much better job. And that that gives you the luxury of getting high school talent, you know, and, and start them off with your good habits and, and doing it right. 
you know, and they can develop pretty quick. I mean, maybe not as quick as a, as a college kid. And it didn't surprise me that a lot of the other teams, you know, especially in this short draft, you know, they went with college players. You know, a little bit older, a little bit, you know, a little bit more mature. I mean, I can understand that part of it. But for the Padres to go ahead and do this five years in a row of their number one pick gives you an indication how confident they are they can develop this talent. Yeah, and it can happen fast for the great ones. Mackenzie Gore drafted three years ago. He's coming, obviously, at the big league level. Last year's first-round pick, a high schooler out of Georgia, C.J. Abrams, had perhaps the the best rookie season in terms of guys just drafted of anybody in baseball a year ago. And he's a guy that is going to be on the doorstep probably sooner rather than later if things kind of continue the way they were. Obviously, this year uh, it's a little bit different because of everything going on. But nonetheless, he's rocketing. So uh, things can happen very, very quickly for these guys. But as Bob said, I I think it would have been very easy, and I heard this from outside of the organization, to peg the Padres as taking a guy who would be ready for the big league sooner rather than later, no matter what, because that window for contention is arriving. Nope, they're disciplined. That's the exact right word that Bob used and uh, sticking with it. Uh, For more on RH3, we turn to Baseball America Uh, This is their scouting report, a little bit cumbersome. Uh, I will read it because this show airs on the radio at 7 o'clock every night. We don't want to leave that audience in the dark. Uh, But Hassel's offseason started and ended well as he was the best all-around hitter and pitched well at the inaugural PDP League in June and July. Led the U.S. national team in virtually every offensive category, hitting a slash of 514, 548, 886 at the Under-18 World Cup in South Korea in September. Struggled at times in between, particularly when he got too focused on trying to hit for power. There's some split opinion as to the quality of his tools behind it, beyond his bat, but he should be one of the first prep position players taken in the first from Tennessee selected in the first round since Mike White in 1986. That's position players. The best pure hitter in the 2020 prep class, Hassel has a pretty left-handed stroke and the hand-eye coordination to barrel balls with ease. He's at his best when he lashes line drives to all fields but his swing got too uphill when he made a conscious effort to hit homers in the middle of the summer. There's some debate as to how much pop he'll ultimately have with some scouts envisioning solid raw power and believing he'll tap into most of it. While other evaluators think he'll, uh, he's more lean than projectable and more of a 15 homer guy. Similarly, Hassel's biggest boosters believe he could have solid or better tools across the board with a chance to stick in center. Other scouts think his bat and armor is only above average attributes and he'll have to play a corner. Clocked up to 93 on the mound. He definitely has enough arm to play right field. The Vanderbilt recruit a legitimate prospect as a pitcher as well, but is a much higher ceiling as a hitter. Already being reported that the Padres, by the way, have said they're, they're going to try and stick with him in center field. That's uh, the plan, at least for now. Those things can obviously change. Um, Bob, I, again, you know, you kind of read all that stuff. You're, you're hearing ceiling. I read a fascinating article, maybe during spring training. It might have been during the winter. I don't recall about the Dodgers' run of success uh, in terms of drafting, developing, identifying, and developing talent these last few years. We talk about it, unfortunately, from a Padre perspective all the time, how it's like, where do they come up with these guys uh, year after year, the Dodgers? But one of the things I remember vividly from that article was that they don't draft for power ever. The power can come. The power can be taught. You can put on strength. And I got to tell you, that was all that was going through my mind when I read that scouting report from Baseball America. Yeah, it's a great point. And so often we hear that comparison. Would you rather have a great power hitter or a great hitter who has power? And from my standpoint, just as from a pitcher's perspective, I didn't fear big power hitters. Those guys were pitchable. Those guys had holes. Those guys oftentimes had long swings. Those guys would go into deep slumps. But the good hitters who have power, those were the guys that caused me concern at times because I knew that they probably had plate discipline. They could put the ball in play. They could hit with two strikes. They had less holes. So 
I love the fact that the Padres are going with a kid that almost everybody, like, that was a big, long scouting report that you just read, Jesse, but I have not heard anybody debate the fact that this was the best high school bat, ball-to-bat contact kid in, in the draft this year. That is a great place to start. As far as the power developing, we see that oftentimes. We know these kids are going to get bigger. There's no question about it. Uh, and the, the thing that I always get concerned about, though, and, and RJ, you've probably seen this as well at times, guys that are good hitters and somebody too soon in their career decides we need to start teaching this kid to hit with power. I think that was mentioned in that scouting report. He ran into some troubles when he tried to change his launch angle, tried to uppercut a little bit more. I say, let this kid learn how to hit. Let him stay in his strengths and the power will eventually come. The guy that I always go back to, guys, is a former teammate of mine, Ryan Sandberg. Nobody cared how many home runs he hit when he first got to the big leagues. They let him be the hitter that he could be. Eventually, the power showed up. RJ, how many guys have you seen where they try to maybe force somebody to hit power? And a lot of times it'll show up naturally. Yeah, and they they try to put him in there, put him in a position to fail early. You know, they they make the wrong adjustments, just like they talked about him struggling this summer when he tried to you know you you know go to power you know more or less and it become a natural hitter. He's got the hand eye coordination, and you know, hey, I'll revert back to you know watching Tony Gwynn and the talent that he did and what he can create for a ball club. It's not all about you know hitting like you're talking about. Yeah, the big power hitter come up, but if I haven't got anybody on base, I, I know, hey, push come to shove, I'm going to give up one run. It's a solo shot, you know, and that's the key. But if you got somebody that you got, you know, maybe in the three slot, the two slot, he's always on base and has a good on-base percentage and can make some things happen, you know, that's going to concern me a lot more than the number four hitter or five hitter. Padres Draft Special presented by Viasat rolling along. Again, the name to know tonight is Robert Hassel III, selected by the Padres' eighth overall center fielder at a high school in uh, Tennessee. And uh, I believe there was an interview on MLB Network with him, so we'll get to hear from the kid himself uh, in just a moment. Also, Padres do have another pick coming up tonight, uh, 34th overall. Uh, They will also have four selections tomorrow, so six overall picks for the Padres in what is, of course, a truncated five-round 2020 MLB draft. Uh, Hey, wait, when when did they report those scans? Hey, when did they report? When did they report these kids getting drafted? Yeah, uh, I don't know about you, but the, the literally 24 hours after I got drafted and <laughs> I, I, I my high school graduation, I took off my cap and gown and I was on a plane going out to Sarasota, Florida. So it yep. was right away. And that was part of the excitement of it all. These poor kids have to sit around and wait around. They don't even know if there's going to be any kind of a season this year. I know. I, I feel for You're right. I, I mean, yeah. two, and a, two and a half days, I was on an airplane going to yeah, Washington, yeah. to Tri-Cities. I was out of here. I, you know. And I was, I was, I was thrilled, you know, I'm not sure my wife was all that thrilled, but I was thrilled. That's amazing. Can we just point out, I tip the captain Marie. I mean, I, you mentioned that you and Marie were there while you were getting drafted. And I, I, I'm just stunned that she's been with you this entire time, man. To put up with you with all these years. What an angel she is. (laughs) Yeah, she is. I mean, you you know, you guys, you guys know that, man. I mean, just amazing. But we, we, we've shared this entire career together and, and we're still going strong. We're, you know, in fact, she was complaining today. She's tired of no baseball. She's ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can get her started with uh, with Robert Hassel the third. That can be her first favorite. Now, is, is it is it RH3? Is it Hass? Yeah. What are we calling him? I'm I'm forcing it for now. I'm forcing no. it for now. We'll 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 talk to him at some point okay. soon, I'm sure. And right, uh, we'll find out. Greg Amsinger right. of MLB Network had the chance to talk to him uh to Robert Hassel the third. Quick conversation that aired uh, courtesy of MLB Network just a little while ago. 
Robert, congratulations, man, first and foremost. Uh, and, and your your emotions on a day where you found out you're a top 10 pick, first high school off the board to the San Diego Padres. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely exciting. Uh, it was nerve-wracking at first, but I'm excited now. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to work and, um, you know, Hard work pays off, so that's what I've been working for this moment right here. So it's definitely you know, something to be excited about. Hey, Robert, it's Harold here. We talked about this last summer up at IMG Academy. Here you are, picked in the first round. I I'm curious, how much physically have you grown since last July when I saw you to now? You look so much bigger already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I've you know I got to work and uh, lost a little bit of weight there before PDP, and I, I'm you know I got to work, gained some weight, some good weight, uh, good muscle weight, uh, been eating pretty good, um, lifting heavier, so and, and you know that all that kind of stuff helps me with my uh, on the field um, stuff hitting, and and I've gotten good, good and strong for for that. You're looking you know, good in the burnt brown, man. Yeah, he does, no doubt. There's a lot of good hair already on that team, by <laughs> yes, the way. Sir. Just so you know. Hosmer, Tatis, Machado. I, I know you're years away, but you got the flow going too, man. You're going to fit right into that department, all right? I do. Yes, sir. I might have to grow it out a little longer now. <laughs> there you go. Robert Hassel III, congratulations uh, being drafted tonight by the San Diego Padres. How's Amsinger not going to mention Scanlon or Mike Pomerantz when talking about the great hair? Uh, <laughs> certainly not me, man. Uh, but uh, congratulations again to Robert Hassel the uh, third. Scans, he's a kid. It's exciting. It is exciting. And uh, I don't know, maybe Matt Strom will take him under his wing and, and get that big, long flow <laughs> growing. That would be fun to see. Two things that have, that have stood out to me with the Padres in terms of their drafts, and, and I think this kid matches what we've seen. Number one, the athleticism. We've seen so many great all-around athletes coming into this Padres clubhouse lately out of these young players. And this kid is no exception. I, we, we talked about the hitting, but Jesse, I think you also mentioned in one of those scouting reports that you read, 93 miles an hour on the fastball. He posted a 1.07 earned run average in, in his high school. So this kid can throw also. And that, that's one of the reasons that they might be projecting him eventually to be a right fielder. But the other thing is, oh, by the way, as far as athletes go, have you ever seen this kid slam dunk? Hop on his Twitter account. This kid has got some <laughs> amazing jumping skills, and I, I'm sure that that influenced A.J. Preller that loved basketball. But the other thing is the makeup of these kids, and that was one thing that Mark Connor and A.J. mentioned, and this is one thing that the Padres have always valued in their scouts is the ability to evaluate the makeup, the character the, of, of these kids that they're drafting. And we've seen it carry over. These kids get to the big leagues. They know they belong. They're not arrogant. They take nothing for granted. They're hardworking, but they also know that they belong at the big league level. And they've had more time than ever to learn about this kid. And RJ, I think you've seen it as well in terms of the, the athleticism and also the quality of the makeup of these kids that the Padres have been drafting lately. It's, it's very, very apparent. You know, you've liked the past few years what AJ and his whole crew have done in evaluating these kids. And you know, they got to be, they got to have, you know, be coachable. They got to have personality and some intelligence. And you know, they've done a great job in, in being thorough in who they draft. And you know. And it just maximizes what they can be. I mean, you look at Mackenzie Gordon and talking to him, you know, Abrams, all these kids in spring training and, and, and how well prepared they really are, not just physically, but mentally. I think, you know, most of these kids that we talk to, you know, are, are mentally ready to, to make that jump. And, and then that makes all the difference in the world. And when you talk to them and you feel really good about it. And once again, you know, it just seems like, uh, you know, Robert's going to be you know, another one of those kids that has an upside and potential, but is coachable, and, and, and he should be on the fast track.
Makeup oh, and athleticism. I, I think those would probably be the two words I would put uh, at the top of the chapter about the way the Padres have been drafting these last couple of years. Scans, you nailed it on the head. I, I mean, it's it's the two sport guys or the guys who are just overall great athletes, uh, the guys who can do kind of freakish things, like you mentioned, the slam dunk that he put up there. C.J. Abrams draining, by the way, on a basket in the clubhouse that I hope I'm not spilling any secrets here. The collective shooting percentage on that basket in the Padre clubhouse is probably around like three, and he just drains <laughs> 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 hanging around. I mean, there's there's definitely scans like a lot of thought that goes into this, and and clearly Preller, Connor, and company they, they like their athletes. No question about it. And the other thing is, we've talked so much about culture and the culture of the organization and how do you change that. Well, one of the ways you change that is by bringing a bunch of winners, a bunch of competitive winners as young kids into your organization. And it's not just we've got one or two and we're hoping these guys can carry the rest of the guys to the promised land. This is a situation now where you have an organization stacked with kids that have been successful at every level. And the kid, RH3 that we just drafted, he was successful back in Little League. He was successful in high school and Team USA. He's been dominant. As of a lot of these athletes now in this Padres minor league organization, they are push, pushing each other. They expect greatness out of each other, and that's what you want to have, and that's what we're starting to see as it's filtering up to the big leagues. When you look at kids like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Chris Paddock and, and, and some of these other kids that are up here now, there's a level of expectation. Don't be bringing your B game to that big league clubhouse yeah. anymore. You better bring your A game, and that's what is expected now. Yeah, and also, you know, so I think just the the whole chat, you know, when you talk to them about a championship, you know, it's just not about being effective and being a good ball player at the major league. They're talking about winning a championship, and you hear it time and again, and that's what you want to hear, and that's where it starts, right there at that level. Even a taste of it in the, in the minor leagues can make all the difference in the world. And bring, hey, bring that chip on your shoulder up to the big leagues. I haven't got a problem with that. RJ, you've seen players where they come up to the big leagues and you know that they're just there trying to survive. They're just happy to be there, right? Holy smokes. How did I trick them and and get an opportunity to be here? And I'm going to check that roster every day because who knows? I might get that tap on the shoulder and I'm going to be back down. So you know that that attitude we've seen it and and that's not how it is here and like you said they're expecting to win it's not about just getting to the big leagues it's not just about surviving and collecting a paycheck it's about bringing championship baseball to san diego and it's refreshing to see yeah Yeah. get to the major league level and make a difference can so that's that's what i'm seeing with a lot of these kids they want they want to be that person to make a difference no, he certainly saw that last year with Chris Paddock. He didn't behave or pitch or anything like a normal rookie. Quote unquote. <laughs> he was stellar last year. And I think every person who cheered for the Padres in any way, shape or form uh, loved that. All right. So, again, Robert Hassel, the third, uh, the eighth overall selection in this year's draft. Uh, center fielder out of high school in Tennessee is the newest Padre. Uh, we'll move away from the draft for a few minutes now, let you know if anything uh, major happens in terms of information, although I wouldn't necessarily expect that at this point. Again, the Padres' other selection tonight will be number 34 overall. Uh, I don't believe we'll get there while we're still doing this show. I think they're uh, around number 18 right now. So the odds of them getting to that point while we're still doing this, uh, not great. But that's okay because uh, we'll we'll get you covered on Padres social media one way or the other. As for the uh, elephant in the room or the the parade of elephants, I guess, in the room, uh, the actual 2020 season and what that looks like. It's certainly nice to be able to have the draft to distract us from reality uh, for a few minutes here today or maybe even for a couple of days. But still trying to figure out what's going to go on with the major league season. 
uh, here this summer. Uh, right before the draft started, Rob Manfred sat down for an interview on the, the league-owned MLB Network and had this to say about what's going on and where we stand in terms of playing baseball this year. Simple question for you. Can you guarantee we will have Major League Baseball in 2020? We're going to play baseball in 2020, 100%. If it has to be under the March 26th agreement, if we get to that point in the calendar, um, so be it. But one way or the other, we're playing Major League Baseball. All right. So there you go. A couple of things here. One, I don't know that that's necessarily new news. It's probably something we all have felt or understood for some time now, but certainly to hear the man say it so directly is impactful. Um, And and just to sort of explain things for folks who aren't following the blow by blow, maybe of these negotiations uh, or whatever you'd like to call them the last several months, um, (laughs) that Rob Manford does have the power unilaterally to start the major league season uh, as short as 48 games or 50 games uh, based on the agreement that the two sides came to in late March. It doesn't seem like that's the direction either side would like it to go, uh, but clearly there, uh, another moment for Rob Manfred to sort of remind, flex, whatever word you want to use, and say, hey, we can do this. If it comes to that, we will do that. So Scans, he's saying, obviously, I guess putting the health stuff aside, um, you know, in terms of the financial implications of whatever may happen this year, we're going to have a season. Now, all that said, Jeff Passan of ESPN also reporting this evening uh, that uh, the league will make a new proposal to the Players Association after receiving the union's 89-game proposal last night. He said it will be a significant move in the players' direction, but if we have to, we'll exercise that right to set a 48-game season. It does... I hate that this probably sounds a little naive, but it does scan seem like they are inching towards one another a little bit the last couple of days. Maybe. And we all want to stay positive, don't we? I mean, we all want to see baseball back on the field. I think when you say a significant move, it'll be interesting to see what ownership considers to be a significant move. Obviously, from the player standpoint, the number one sticking point seems to be full pay of their prorated amount. And thus far, ownership has not been able to budge off of that. Um, So we'll see. We'll see what the next proposal presents. And as we've said all along, a lot of times it's not what's going on publicly. It's what's going on behind the scenes. So we'll see what happens. But I I, I have to say, guys, I was a little concerned that this draft was going to be very muted given what's going on in the baseball world. But as soon as I turned it on and I started watching, I I started getting the same excitement and buzz over a draft as, as I always do. So I'm hoping that this maybe can carry some momentum in bringing both sides together and reminding everybody of how much we love this game and how much we want to get it back on the field. Now, hopefully fire some people up and get resolve this, get get the negotiations over with so we can set some dates and, and target and look forward to a date where we're going to see baseball played again. Uh, even spring training, getting the guys, you know, back in uniform, you know, getting ready. Um, you know, that that's what we need. And, and hopefully they're getting closer. You know, I don't like the forty-six game thought process, but hey, if, if, if it is, if it that it is what it is. But I, I think overall, I think they're inching closer. So hopefully they can get this resolved. You know, in in, in a timely fashion, so we can get uh, Major League Baseball in July. Yeah, hey, Jesse, I got a question for you. Is there anything about what Manfred said that makes you think that he wants to have to impose that 50 game agreement that was that they had in place earlier? I mean, don't you get the sense that both sides really want to try to come out and negotiate something without having to go that route? Because there's longer term ramifications if that happens as well. Are there not? Yes. Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right, Scans. I mean, that's that's my main takeaway from the last 
couple of years, honestly, watching Rob Manfred, he has had a lot of opportunity to unilaterally implement something, be it as small as a rule change uh, or as large as you know this season, whatever it may be. He has not executed that right. He has not taken advantage of those powers. Um, and, and so I think that's important. You always study history. You always like to look back at what has happened to try and get a sense of what might happen. And again, I'm, I'm not saying he's bluffing. I, I do think he'll do it if it comes to that. But scans my sense absolutely is that he wants to exhaust things before getting to that point. The tricky part, of course, is that, you know, you've got two sides who are very well entrenched and dug in for their own good reasons um, at the end of the day. And and we're hoping and trying to get them a little bit closer. But, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's he been in situations, again, with far less on the line the last couple of years like this and has not taken that kind of extraordinary step, as you said, that would have long-term ramifications. And it doesn't have to be too far in the future, those ramifications, because if things get really ugly, uh, you know, don't forget, they have to negotiate a CBA as early as after next season, uh, because that's when the thing expires again, Bob. So they, they, they have to, I would hope, want to keep things as simple as possible. There's a lot of work to be done in that paragraph for Manfred, too. I mean, the last sentence, gentlemen, you know, talking about a 46-game season. You know, if that's not a negotiating, you know, ploy, I don't know what you want to call it. But, you know, like he's saying, hey, don't make me do a 46-game schedule. And I think that's what he just said both sides. And I don't, I know the players don't want that. So, you know, I think there was still a little bit of negotiation even in that paragraph, in my opinion. Always is. Always is. The yeah. other sports, of course, are also uh, trying to get back on the field or court or ice doing their different things. We've been kind of following that with uh, one eye at least. Uh, the latest league to present their plan. It's a little bit of a different one, kind of interesting MLS, Major League Soccer here in the United States. Uh, I guess they uh, formally agreed on whatever they want to do earlier today. What they're going to do is starting in about a month, uh, play a tournament. Uh, They'll be in a bubble in Orlando at ESPN's Wide World of Sports facility. All 26 clubs will be in the tournament which will go for a little over a month. It'll kind of, I guess, have a similar format as the World Cup or the Euro Tournament, group stage followed by knockout rounds, and uh, the winner will get a a bidding or a a spot in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League, which is a tournament that takes place uh, in this part of the world coming out of all that. So kind of neat, and then I think they're going to kick off their actual season a little bit after that. But they're going to try and do a tournament, get some eyes on it, and uh, that's obviously something that fits somewhat naturally in with soccer because soccer tournaments are a big part of soccer. You know, we as far back, I don't know, is probably April. We're talking on this show about, you know, maybe if baseball can't play a season logistically, you try and put some kind of tournament together. It's just scans so much more of like a, a foreign thing in baseball than it is in soccer, where they're always playing tournaments uh, throughout their normal season. Yeah, it's almost like the NHL, right? Where everybody's just the regular season. What does it really mean? You're gonna, you're going to get to the playoffs, and then that's when things really matter. But obviously, baseball it, it's got a hallowed tradition of the season being very meaningful in terms of you know how you're going to get to the playoffs and who deserves to be there. So yeah, there was so many things going on in this MLS agreement as well. They actually had to renegotiate their CBA. They had one agreed upon earlier this year, and the players were ecstatic about it. But once this all happened, because nothing got inked. 
ownership was able to come back and say, look, we're going to renegotiate the CBA. The players lost money and salary. They also lost some of the revenue sharing that they were promised previously. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics. And I think I just bring that up as a reminder to fans. They say, well, look, MLS is getting it going together. NBA, NFL. Well, keep in mind also with the MLS that their total team payroll is $8 million. I mean, there's a bunch of major league players that are one player alone is making a ton more than that. The average salary in that league is $100,000. So I'm I'm not trying to say that every dollar isn't important to those guys as well. I'm just saying that there's a lot of different dynamics in terms of trying to to bring a $10 billion industry back up to speed and get things going. But hopefully they can. I want to circle back to the draft a little bit now as, uh, you know, we kind of think a little bit about Robert Hassel and the experience. We get to see those great videos of these guys sitting with their families and celebrating uh, when the announcement comes on TV. Obviously, as you've both alluded to, it was a very different experience for you, uh, not only because of the spot you were drafted, uh, but also the era in which you were drafted. This is a very recent phenomenon in the baseball world of it being a big televised event. It's uh, become this way in most of our lifetimes. Um, But do take us back to the draft and finding that out. Randy, you were a fifth round pick, a college selection. Bob, you mentioned 25th round out of high school. So different experiences, a few years apart also. Uh, But RJ, uh, what, what was the moment like? How big or not was it? Well, I mean, it, it's it's big in, in in all of our careers, I think. But yeah, I'm I'm 22 year old. I I'm I just got my degree, my senior year in college, and you know, when in in uh, obviously, I thought the Detroit Tigers were going to draft me in the sixth round, and uh, the Padres picked me up in the fifth round, and I had never talked to a, a Padre scout. I had never talked to anybody in the in the organization, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, you know, Marty Keogh called me. Uh, that afternoon, I, I, in fact, I played golf that day with a bunch of my college buddies, ball players. And when I got back home, sitting around, and there's hope maybe I'd, my phone would ring, and it did. And it was Marty Keogh. So the Padres, we drafted you in the uh, in the fifth round. I said, "Like, what'd you do that for?" I mean, I mean, I was shocked. <laughs> I mean, I, I just thought it was going to be the sixth round of Detroit Tigers, and you know, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, two and a half hours later, you know, Marty was at my door, my apartment, and and I signed and. I paid my wife's Volkswagen off with my big giant bonus and, and uh, went and played baseball. <laughs> what was, was that bonus, Randy? Yeah, yeah I, I paid my wife's, I think it was $1,000, man. That's what it was. <laughs> so I mean, I just oh. wanted, the, I wanted the opportunity to play. And the more I thought about it, gentlemen, I mean, because you're going to try to, to you know, get in the minor leagues with the Detroit Tigers and, and break into their pitching rotation. And then I realized with the Padres and the new franchise, at that point in time, starting in 69 at 72, you talk about more upside, more opportunity. I knew I was going to get that with the San Diego Padres, and, and I was not disappointed. I mean, a year later, I was literally in the big leagues. Some similarities in our stories. First of all, I think it's interesting how you thought you were going to get drafted by a different organization. And I still hear that today <laughs> where I'm talking to young players and they say, oh, no, the – the Oakland A's love me and they're going to take me in the third round. And the next thing you know, they're going in the seventh round to the angels or somebody. Yeah. So there's a lot of gamesmanship that's going on and you really never know where you're going to go. Um, you know, my situation, I, I said earlier, we got, I, I didn't handle things as well as I could have. I thought that I was going to be going to Stanford. I'd been talking to the coaches. Everything was, you know, they assured me, scan, you got your scholarship. Everything's going to be fine. And then a few days before all the end of high school and the draft and everything, they changed their mind. They went with a guy by the name of Jack McDowell. They gave it to him and he turned out to be a fantastic big league player. But I found myself out 
after telling all the scouts, don't even bother drafting me because I'm going to go to Stanford. And they said, well, we're not going to pay as much as what a Stanford education wow. is worth. I was fortunate enough. I was able to get an opportunity to, to sign with UCLA. And then I got drafted, as I mentioned earlier, by the Phillies in the 25th round. And Jay Robertson took a chance on me. And the reason that I changed my mind and opted to, to sign with the Phillies instead of going to, to school at that time was because the Phillies had such a great reputation for developing players. They had a great minor league system. They were getting guys up to the big leagues. And at that time, I thought, you know what? Here's my shot. If, if I'm going to get an opportunity to get to the big leagues, it might be with the Phillies who are developing young players. If not, I'll go back to school and, and finish out my degree. So it, every, it all worked out for me. It's definitely not something that I recommend. But I remember Jay, after drafting me, he came into the into our house and, and said, basically, Bob, what I'm going to offer you is an opportunity to play professional <laughs> baseball. And right then, I that, that signing bonus was going to be way small. <laughs> so, I know, could, you, could you pay off the Volkswagen, though? Could you pay off the Volkswagen? I ended up buying an old used Jeep out in Spartanburg, <laughs> South Carolina with that money. <laughs> now, how, how, how old were you when you signed? Were you 17? I was 17 years old. 17. I was 17. Wow. Yeah. And I remember the, I mentioned the day after I graduated, I was on a plane out to Sarasota, Florida. And I remember getting to the airport and going to the ballpark and being on this van with a bunch of other guys. And they were all your age, Randy. They, these were guys that were coming out of college programs. They were experienced. They had been through the wars. They, you know, far more experienced than I was as a 17 year old. So it was definitely an eye opening experience. And I'm not going to lie and say there wasn't a moment or two where I looked around me and said, oh, fight <laughs> off more than I can chew. But what, how was it for you, Randy, when you first one out there and, and put on a pro uniform. Oh, you know, it was never was a thrill, but I went to, you know, Tri-Cities, Washington. It was our, our single-A affiliate. You know, and we all got there, and I obviously I was the oldest player in the world there. You know, everybody else was <laughs> 17, 18 years old. I'm 22. Yeah. You know, the veteran guy, really. And I <laughs> I opened up opening, uh, opening night and went the first five innings and uh, – the next day, they handed me a plane ticket to uh, Alexandria, Louisiana, in the Texas League in Double A baseball. Uh, oh wow! I, I made one start, five innings, and won the ball game, and was gone. Uh, and you know, then once I got to Double A, now that was just like that was more competitive, just like college baseball was. I felt really at home there. I mean, that was, but that was the. You know, it seemed like every team had twenty five really good players, not like college. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these guys can flat play and compete. You know, and and, and I'm, I really got into it pretty quick as far as, you know, setting hitters up, pitching them, how to pitch them. Uh, you know, I mean, I didn't have a choice against less was better all the time, even at that point. You know, I wasn't blowing anybody away. It was just pitching to contact ground balls. So, but still, it was it was the whole concept of uh, these guys didn't didn't miss mistakes. It was unreal. But you knew who you were at, were at that point, which yes. is which is awesome, and you were able to continue to develop. You understood that. Me, I had no clue. I had terrible <laughs> mechanics. You were reaching no back, idea. Man. Yeah, I had no idea. I was I was a seventeen year old kid. I was in rookie ball, and I remember I threw my first bullpen, and my pitching coach, after I got done throwing that bullpen, he he stops. He says. Do you know how to, to to doctor the ball? And I said, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "You know, do you know how to scuff it? Do you know how to put?" So right away, I'm thinking the coach has no confidence in me if he's telling me I already have to learn how to doctor the ball. This is not going to be good. All <laughs> so, right. it, and, it, and, it, and the next day, we had a meeting. Our manager calls us all together. We have 40 kids there, and he said, "Look around, everybody, just look around." So we're all looking around, and he says, "Okay, out of the 40 guys here, maybe, maybe three of you will get one day in the big leagues." And that was a real sobering moment for all of us. And the truth of the matter was, he was exactly right. I made it. Pete Smith, 
who was uh, our number one pick that year made it, and uh, a guy named Jeff Gray who made it with the Boston Red Sox. So it's tough, and, and you yeah. got to figure out right away. Look, it's it's a dog eat dog world once once you uh, start that pro career. Hey, one one great story, real quick. You know, yeah, but they got to tell this when I got to Tri Cities down there, and our our minor league uh, pitching coach was Johnny Pondries. So he was my coach, right? And here I am, this little sinker ball slider guy, and he's got me throwing four seamers down at the bullpen. And next thing he, was, he looked at me and goes, can you throw a curveball? I went, yeah, got a pretty good one. And so I threw a couple of curveballs, and he goes, I like that pitch. I love that. And so that first start, my first minor league start, was all four-seam fastballs and curveballs mostly, okay? Because wow. That's what Johnny Padres wanted. You know, but I mean, I could handle that, and I, I mixed in just enough enough sinkers, you know, to to get by, you know. But as soon as I left there, and got with Duke Snyder in the Texas League. Um, you know, Padres wasn't there, so I went right back to my old ways, a little sinker ball slider, you know, getting people out. Um, and I, I never went back. And I I remember that Padres snuck in one one day. I think it was my fourth start, and I beat Shreveport four to nothing in the second game of a doubleheader. And I didn't know he was watching me, and I didn't throw one curveball the whole game. And so he comes in after <clears throat> after I went four to nothing, and he goes, "I'm really disappointed in you, Randy." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the, and thank God, thank God, Duke Snyder was sitting there. Duke Lee, just leave the kid alone. He just won four to nothing. Just shut up, leave him alone. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's really hilarious. Funny. I'll never forget it, man. Your pods is all up, and I abandoned Pods his ideas. Great. Yeah, it was. Todd was awesome, man. I had him as a big league pitching coach when I was with the Phillies in, in yeah. spring training. And what I remember about him, he would never watch a pitch that I threw. He was always looking the other way, talking to somebody else. He had a <laughs> He's just talking, that talking. Did. And all of a sudden, I'd pop one, Randy, and, and the go, you know, pow. And he, yeah, that's it, kid. Right there. That's what you got to do. Do that one again. <laughs> never saw anything that I'd go back great, to smoking and smash. Great stuff, man. That is beautiful. <laughs> With Johnny Padres uh, coaching back in the day, I guess that's, uh, that's good stuff, man. Love those stories. Love those stories very, very much. Uh, let's do another old timey thing. How about this? On this date in 1921, so almost 100 years ago, uh, Babe Ruth uh, put on the crown. He became the MLB home run king, uh, which is kind of funny because it was on his 120th career home run. Uh, you think of 714, of course, where he ends up. Uh, but when he hit his 120th is when he became the all-time home run leader in baseball history. It was, of course, a, a game where you didn't see a lot of home runs prior to the Bambino. That's why he was as important as he was. Um, three years before this, in 1918, when he was still a Red Sox, he led all of baseball when he hit 11 home runs in the season. I mean, you, you just think about how much the game changed with yeah. Babe Ruth at the center of it back then. He hit 11 one year to lead the league and became the all-time home run king on this date in 1921 when he hit his 120th. Hey, no, was that the same year that he he won 21 games as a pitcher? You know, I believe so. Yes, because of course he was doing that for a couple years too. Yeah, I mean he he could definitely flat pitch as well. A lot of people don't realize that, but the Bambino was pretty effective on the mound before he turned into the prolific left-handed hitter. So I was just curious. I mean, you know, he had 11 home runs in one year, man. I, I'm still trying to get to the warning track with a fly ball, man. You know, that's <laughs> all I'm trying to do. You, you know, it's amazing when you look at that, and it gives you some perspective of 
why he was so revered at that time. When you break a record by, you know, 600 home runs, ultimately, <laughs> I mean, he, 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 he completely transformed the game. I mean, it had never been played like that before. And it's so amazing to watch. And the other thing that's really cool is after that season, they gave him that silver crown. I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of him wearing that silver crown. And it's got 59 baseballs on it, one for each home run that he hit over the course of that season. And it, it's it, it's just the cool things that go on. And, and we just know what a character he was. And, you know, it's amazing, Jesse. I don't know if you've had this experience, but sometimes when we go out to, to Yankee Stadium, you'll still run into people who remember meeting him as a kid. You know, the, my father took me to a bar one time and there was this gentleman there and he, he took me up to the bar and it was Babe Ruth, you know, and it's just fun to hear these stories that still exist and, and the lore that's still with them. And, uh, you know, he's, he's iconic. I mean, no, no question about it. And um, I don't know about you, RJ, but aside from him, I think the home run king is, is Hank Aaron, in my opinion. Well, yeah, no, I, I think no doubt. I, I have to agree 100% different era than when they did it. You know, but overall, it's um, there's so many great players. I'm sometimes I worry about the younger players today don't really appreciate or understand the the history of the game, and and I really wish they would. I think they'd appreciate it even more. Um, but you know, like in, in our era and stuff, scans and and sitting around talking to you know Bob Feller and and some of the great old timers, Warren Spawn, you know, Robin Roberts, some of the great pitchers and. You know, competing against Steve Carlton and stuff, the opportunities we had are, are unforgettable moments in, in my lifetime. No question about it. And, and I plead guilty as a player. I didn't know as much history about the game as I should have. I knew the players that I had grown up watching and fell in love with, many of whom you just mentioned, the, you know, the Steve Carltons and, and those types of guys. But, um, you know, I, I wish I had been a more of a historian of the game that I've been able to be now. Jesse, you've probably always loved the history of the game is my guess. Yeah, I had, I had to lean on the history because my talents couldn't get me out of high school. You know, I mean, it was one of those things. It was a different situation. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I certainly am always fascinated by that. You know, you talk to different guys and as you're mentioning, there's such a wide range. There really is um, of, of baseball players and, and how they feel about it. I mean, A-Rod is such an interesting example um, I look at Craig Sager there on the, in the center. Of the but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, A-Rod tells a story. Um, this is many years ago. It's, it, it came out, you know, how when he first met Derek Jeter, um, it was before they were teammates, you know, they were just sort of contemporaries and they were getting to know each other. And, and I forget the particulars, but basically A-Rod ends up at Jeter's house in Tampa, which I guess Tom Brady now lives in, but that's another story. And they were hanging out one night, you know, during the season or maybe it was spring training, whatever it was. And A-Rod's like, oh, what channel is MLB Network or something like that? You know, he wanted to put on ESPN. He wanted to put on whatever to watch the baseball highlights. And Jeter was like, oh, I don't know. I don't I don't watch any of that. And like A-Rod couldn't believe it. A-Rod's like a total baseball junkie, like obsessed with following box scores. Like he had never stopped being a nine-year-old kid wanting to see the highlights. And Jeter, on the other hand, literally didn't pay attention to any of it. He just went out about his business and, and treated it just like a job, as a lot of guys do. So the, the range that you see... Um, is, is really a, a very wide birth scan. It is. But, and the thing that surprises me is that there's not more guys that are baseball historians nowadays because it's so much easier to be one. 
back in my day, I remember I had one book. It was a Ted Williams hitting book. And that was <laughs> my baseball book. That's the awesome. other thing that I studied was the back of baseball cards. And so that's how I sort of knew some guys and knew some numbers. And, and that was about it. But nowadays with the internet available to these guys, you can know whatever you want. And what's also surprising is that there's certain guys who you wouldn't expect to be historians, like Randy Johnson, for example, just looking at the big unit. I'm not thinking that he'd be this this huge baseball guy, but when you start talking to him, he has so much respect for you know Walter Johnson and some of the yeah. old pitchers of the old day. He really knew the history of the game, and so it's neat when you run, run into those guys who are not only exceptional at playing, but also understand and respect the history of the sport that they're mastering. Well, I think Jesse also when you talk about like the history, you know, and you know, you know me, and I'll go off on a tangent, and so here I go, but. You know, like you talk about how valuable some of the old baseball cards are, like a, a Mickey Mantle, you know, or Sandy Koufax you know, or Joe DiMaggio. Well, you you know what happened to all those cards in the late 50s and, and 60s? Well, we were putting them in the in our bike spokes, you know, with a clothespin. So it made it made a sound. And you you didn't use crappy guys. You used all the good guys in, in your spokes. <laughs> you know, you, you'd only get like two runs down the hill and then, then the card would tear. You know, then you had to replay. <laughs> and so we destroyed, I don't know how many Mickey Mantle and Colfax cards in the spokes on our bicycles. That's what happened to them. That's why they, they disappeared. We yeah. as kids, we wore them all out. And that's why they're so valuable because they're that's so few right. left. You guys were ruining them. If you would have taken care of them, they wouldn't be worth half what they're worth. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I'm telling you, man, we just trashed so many valuable cards. It was silly. Yeah, I'm not well, I wish somebody would do that nowadays because my wife did a, a, a job for somebody recently. She got paid in baseball cards. And oh. at first I thought, this is awesome because this gentleman had this huge collection. And so anyway, we, we took on about 500 boxes of baseball cards. The only problem is they're all from the 1990s. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It didn't even work what they were sold to. So now I've got a half a garage full of, of what 1990s baseball, football, hockey, and basketball cards. That's awful, man. If there's anybody out there that wants them, please contact me. <laughs> Somebody will. It's funny you say that because, you know, like I, I, my parents, we had a very strict allowance in my household. I didn't have a lot of disposable cash as a kid. So like it, it took a while to save up to do something and a lot of chores, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I remember finally getting together, whatever it was, maybe like eight, 10 bucks. Right. And to go to the baseball card store and like, I was going to like buy a good card because you know, you open your packs that you get the grocery store, that kind of thing. It's very hit or miss. So I was like, I'm going with my buddy, I'm gonna, like get a good card, but I only had like eight or $10, whatever it was. And you know, this is the early nineties. And I'm looking at the Braves pitching staff, of course. So I'm like, well, I can't afford Maddox, can't afford Glavin, can't afford Smos. Steve Avery rookie card, baby. I'm hitching my horse to this wagon. You know, that was what I could afford. Didn't have much. That's awesome, man. At least you got a left-hander, man. Nice job. Yeah, yeah exactly. That was it. That was like so that, that makes me think of that. I got my Steve Avery rookie card somewhere still, I'm sure. Uh, it's still right. a good bookmark, Jesse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no offense, I love it, out there somewhere. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, KBO Sadness Report. Things continuing to spiral uh, downward for the Wiz. It, it, there was a period of time where our beloved KT Wiz, uh, the bullpen was just incendiary. They couldn't get anything right. They were blowing leads. Uh, they've now entered the portion of the season where it's, it's beyond that. It's a team-wide slump uh, in every way, shape, or form. It's impacted the fielding, the starting pitching, the relief pitching, as mentioned, the hitting, every, oh, it's all bad. It's all falling apart. <laughs> Wiz, 
Uh, last night, uh, mercifully, they only had to play five innings because it was pouring rain. Uh, the bad news was they lost 10 nothing in those five innings. Uh, they'll try and avoid the sweep to the Kia Tigers uh, tonight. The only reason, by the way, that our Wiz are not in last place in the KBO uh, is because the Hanwha Eagles cannot get right. They lost 12-2 to last night. They have now dropped 16 in a row. The so, the, so the new team's not working good, huh? The new the eight new guys or nine guys, not working. Go figure. Go Damn. figure. You think you'd be I having think- one, one secret weapon in all those new ones? Come on. Skits. <laughs> You're not going to. Yeah. Hey, should I get? Should I? Should I cancel my order for the Wiz hat? I don't know, man. I mean, no, you tell I'm me? still no. I think you keep your order going because you might be the guy to turn things around for him, RJ. We got to get a you bad, a lid. And not a bad we'll, call. We'll turn this thing around, man. Turn it. I like this. I if, like this uh, idea. I'm going to wear the Wiz hat the entire show tomorrow with Mud and Don, and hopefully <laughs> okay. that'll that'll start to get things going. Plus, I just I like, like it. I, <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right. Um, as mentioned, uh, the draft. This is the uh, Padre Social Hour draft special brought to you by Viaset Robert Hassel III, selected eighth overall by the Padres. Again, they've got that second pick tonight coming up, uh, number 34 overall. Uh, probably, I don't know, 30, 50, something like that minutes away from that being able to happen. But congratulations uh, to Robert Hassel III, hey. his family and friends. Obviously, a very very special day. And um, guys, I, I, I love hearing the draft stories. I love kind of revisiting all of that. Um, it's such a special, cool moment. And you just start thinking back the last couple of years now. And you think about guys like Gore and Weathers and Abrams in the first round. Um, these call. are looking like they are going to be impactful guys. And RJ, it's all you can ask for from a team perspective. You bet. Hey, before we go, though, who was, who got, who was the number overall, number one overall pick? Uh, the kid Torkelson from Arizona State. Oh, okay. All right. I just I I didn't want to assume that, and I hadn't heard, and I just thought I better find out before we leave. Man, yeah, they're they're saying he's one of the best college hitting prospects in a very very long time. Uh, so the, I think it was kind of assumed by most everybody uh, that the Tigers would take him number one overall uh, out of ASU. Did I hear also? I think tonight uh, he wasn't really. I don't think he was drafted out of high school. I mean, you talk about a guy that that blossomed. Wow. I mean, that's that's a heck of a thing, Scans. It really is. And it's really interesting and unfortunate that there were so many players that didn't get that last opportunity heading into this draft to show off for the scouts because so much can change from one year to the next. We've seen college kids that maybe didn't play very much as a freshman and a sophomore all of a sudden blossom in their junior year. And the same thing for these high school kids. But, you know, it's just such a reminder that Somebody may be telling you as a high school player, if you're a high school player out there and you got people telling you, you're never going to make it, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough, whatever it may be. If you have that dream, don't give up on it. Don't let other people right. tell you what you're capable of doing or not. Because RJ, I don't know about you, but I had a ton of people telling me that getting into the big leagues was a pipe dream. It never was going to happen. Yeah. Why am I yeah. wasting my time? So I think it's another great story and a great reminder to all of us that if you have the willpower, uh, Give it a shot. I mean, go yeah. for it. Don't have any regrets of giving up on your dream. Yeah, and there's going to be some secret weapons are going to come out of the, the class that, that won't get drafted today or tomorrow. There's going to be, some, gentlemen, there's going to be some guys that will sign, you know, and we'll hear their story once they make the big league. You watch. Yeah. 
No doubt about it. I think for a long time, we'll be looking back at this 2020 draft class with a, a close eye, knowing it was a little bit of a different year. And as you mentioned, the undrafted guys who, who may sign after the uh, final round, the fifth round concludes tomorrow. Uh, let's see. Coming up tonight on Fox Sports San Diego, got some more uh, Padre Classic games. These have been a lot of fun for a lot of different reasons. Don't have to go too far back in the vault for this one, August of 2018. Um, it's a comeback against the Diamondbacks. This was a, a fun one. Travis Jankowski, Hare, uh, Corey Spangenberg, who's playing in Japan now. It's amazing how much things can change in a year or two. Uh, but a, a fun ending to this one. Should I give the spoiler or not? I don't know if we're, we might see it here, in which I do. It's a walk-off win, I'll tell you that. We wouldn't make you sit through a game just to see the Padres lose uh, from two years ago. It's a walk-off win, and there you go. Christian Villanueva going to send everybody home happy at uh, Petco Park in August of 2018. Uh, with that, not a home run, I'm sorry, just a, a walk-off victory. So that's what we got going there. And also want to remind everybody we'll be back tomorrow at 5.30. Uh, as mentioned, Don and Mud will be here. We'll have a great time. Thank you again, Bob uh, and RJ. Congrats again to RH3. Thanks, to everybody, uh, for hanging out. And uh, enjoy your weekend, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Always fun. Great stuff. Uh, great stuff tonight. Robert Hassel, the third, eighth overall pick high school uh, hitter, center fielder from Tennessee. We will talk to you tomorrow night at 530. Enjoy the draft and uh, we'll wrap that thing up for you on tomorrow's show. Have a good night.